Amen. Let us pray. Dear we praise you and thank you for your word. <clears throat> As we continue in worship. Just wanting to know you better, we come to you. Inviting your spirit to be among us and teach us. And I pray that all that is shared be for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this story of Mary and Martha... Hopefully, some of us have heard that before. I'm kind of saying it. We're kind of doing the lectionary, but they're kind of familiar stories here have been the last couple of weeks. Um, but one of the things, as I said, is always important is context. And there's a couple of big picture ideas, a couple of points that I want to see you, you, you're just not supposed to miss. And then there's some deeper stuff. One of the deeper things I want us to talk about but there's some big ideas that the writer of Luke's gospel wants, wants the reader to get. As I've said before, said last week, you know, it's written to be read orally from beginning to end in one sitting. The entire gospel. So last week, we talked about the, the story that comes right before this. What is it? We'll see who was listening. The Good, the good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. It's the one right before. So the first kind of overarching kind of big picture idea that the writer does not want you to get that is a theme of Luke's gospel for the whole Bible, but especially Luke's gospel. Samaritans, you know, the, the Jews didn't care for the Samaritans, right? We talked about that last week, and it's the Samaritan that's the righteous guy in the story. And here you have Mary... Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Y'all have heard this point before. That's why I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But that idea that women in the ancient world, I mean, even to where you would separate parts of the house that they were to be in, that idea of, of working and doing the, the women's work, and they did not get educated and, and learn the scripture, and you often did not sit at the feet of a rabbi. That is a place for a man. To take the role of a disciple sitting at the feet of a great teacher and experiencing their teaching and who they are, that is not the place for a woman. To where Martha's running around doing the things she's supposed to be doing. To that first overarching idea that is built on all through the gospel. Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and touching lepers. And then a good Samaritan happened to be a Samaritan that did the right thing. Not the Samaritan. And here, what? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. It is that idea and that principle that you don't need to miss with Luke's gospel. Anyone and everyone has a place at the feet of Jesus if you want it. Nothing, Paul talks about, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing, every, if you want it, there is a place. Regardless of upbringing, regardless of who you are, regardless of status, regardless of anything else, there is a place at the feet of Jesus as a disciple. So if you're sitting there thinking, I don't measure up, or if you think there's somebody else that could never measure up or could never be there, or if you have a list of... That just 
comes to an end right there. If you want it, there is a place. The other thing, that's the first point. Uh, the other thing that is an overarching idea that you're not supposed to miss. And Luke, the writer of Luke's gospel, really loves this. He loves contrast. You see it all through, and any good literature has contrast and tension, or it's not a very good, not a very good writing. We like tension, but Luke really loves contrast of things that are different. At the, at the end of the Good Samaritan, what does Jesus say? The guy that's trying to justify himself and is out all the knowledge and the Samaritan who does the right thing. The command from Jesus' mouth is, go and do likewise. Go. Care for the person in the ditch. Go find the person in need. Go meet a need. Go get to work. Go caring for people. Go meeting needs. That is the go and do likewise. And then the very next story, which is this one. Martha's going and doing. She is doing, doing, doing. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Sit and be. You ever feel like that with God? Wait, 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 wait a minute. Didn't you just say go and do? And now you're saying sit and be? I mean, you, you feel like, oh, we have found, we have found the contradiction. Jesus has contradicted himself. We can just pay no attention to it. Which does he mean? Go and do or sit and be? Because there are times you have to go and do. But here we're told to sit and be. How do you know when? Because you know what, if you're like me, usually the times that I really should be sitting and being with Jesus, you know, God's got something to point out in my life, really needs to deal with me, I'm going to spend all my time doing what? Going and doing. Got no time for that. And the times that I really need to go and do, it's usually something I don't want to do. And I'm just going to decide, let's just be contemplative today. And let's just sit and be. Right? How do we know? Well, I'm going to tell you, y'all want to know the answer? And the same writer that wrote the book of Luke also wrote what? Acts. No scholar will argue that point. And most everything in Luke, why it all hubs around the gospel, the crucifixion, the resurrection, but what that makes possible is what's coming in Acts. Wait in Jerusalem. When the Spirit comes, then I want you to go and be witnesses to the ends of the earth. You can't do that without what? The Spirit. And we get, we get weirded out by the Holy Spirit. We think we're all going to fall out or something. Or... It is the Spirit of Jesus. It's referred to as that in Scripture. It is God's Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. You can't know. That is how they know in Acts. Without spending time and getting to know the voice of the Spirit. That's how Peter knows to get up and preach. That's how Paul knows to wait after his conversion. He has to wait for years. Sit and be. 
That's how Philip knows I should run beside that chariot that's got that Ethiopian in it. Because the Spirit leads them. I mean, you can just look in Luke and in Acts. Part of one of the themes, if you notice, who's filled with the Spirit. You can also circle and underline, we don't have have time for teaching on this this morning, but you can also underline if they're filled with something else. There's a lot of things people get filled with other than the Spirit in Luke and Acts. But you can just look at who's filled with the Spirit. In Luke's Gospel, about five people are filled with the Spirit. In Acts, after the crucifixion, the resurrection that makes it possible for us to experience God intimately and to show up, you know how many people are filled with the Spirit? I mean, you can't count them all. The Spirit's just breaking out all over the place. People can fill the Spirit over there and fill the Spirit, God's presence working and leading and directing. That Luke uses that tension here of go and do or sit and be to let you know you need to recognize the voice of the Spirit. In John's Gospel, it's brought out chapter 10, one illustration of, you know, to know the shepherd's voice and learn to follow it. It takes time. Let him be your coming out and your going in and lead in everything. But you're going to need to learn to recognize the voice of, of God and the Spirit in your life. That's how you know when to go and do and when to sit and be. There went the second big point. Got two of them down. We just got one left. Because the idea in this text, and y'all have heard, you, you are going to need... To sit and be with God. To sit and be in His presence. And when I read this passage, one of the first things that enters my mind, and I've used this illustration before, is when I got out of seminary. Uh, I got my master's at Emory. Uh, Katie and I got married and, and ended up moving to Atlanta. And we had a lot going on. I was I pastored New Hope United Methodist Church. It's in Lawrenceville, and which was kind of becoming a suburb of Atlanta. This is back in 1997. Um, then I was going to school full time, and Katie was working at Oakland Center, her, her in special ed center, and she was finishing her degree going to Bernal uh, in Gainesville, driving. So we had a lot going on. We were very busy, but we had a great time in Atlanta. We we grew. I wouldn't trade that time for anything. But when I finished seminary. I was appointed to Madison United Methodist as associate pastor. And I was there about two months, maybe three. And I was freaking out. I mean, I was frustrated. I was tired. I, was, I felt like I was burning the candle at both ends. Oh, what's going on? And then when I stepped back and I weighed, you know, well, look at what was, what's going on in my life. What do I, I was like, wait a minute. I had all that coursework, all those books to read, all that, pa- all that full load at school, all that full load pastoring, figuring out how to do marriage. We were running in all different directions. Actually, stuff in my life was a lot less. And I was like, what in the world has happened? And I was praying, I was thinking about it one day, and it was like the Spirit just gently reminded me of something. And I became aware. My commute 
from Lawrenceville into Emory on a good traffic day was about an hour. You know, that's if I hit my 20-minute window I had to make it in, and I'd be at school really early, but I could make it quick. If I missed my window, it could be an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes. If there was a wreck on top of that, I may be three hours getting there. That's one way. There'd be another. So you're talking about two-hour minimum to six-hour maximum in my car. Now, I'm not going to pretend that everything I listened to in my car was all this noble, wonderful, I mean, you know. But a lot of that time, I'd be listening to worship music. I'd be thinking about my day and praying and just spending time with Jesus. Sometimes I would be listening. Do you all remember cassettes? You know, when the good thing goes around. And I would listen to a Christian cassette of a sermon or an idea or devotion or driving in. They did have CDs then. I just had an old car. But we did not have smartphones and podcasts. And, but I realized that a lot of that time was my time with Jesus. You know what my commute was from my house in Madison to Madison United Methodist? Five minutes. On a really high traffic day, it may have been ten. So my personal time with God went from an hour or two, twice a day, to five or ten minutes. And I realized why I was so frustrated. And I've tried to carve out time for that ever since. So you're going to need to spend time with Jesus, and we, we know it, and we don't, we do. But I want to peel away the layers and get to a little deeper issue that I think Luke is dealing with here. Because I just said that illustration, and you know what we'll do? You know what I'll do sometimes with that? Get my day planner out. And I got a pencil in, I got to pencil, and that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. But then we'll start, we'll start meeting with Jesus, or praying, or reading our scripture, or doing devotion, like we're checking off a list. It's almost like we can't help it as human beings. I'm going to earn a brownie point with Jesus. He never changed. I'm going to get some kind of credit if I put it on my list and I do better. Anybody ever done that? You know what happens when we do that? We got one honest person in the back. Thank you. You know when we do that? Yeah, that's when I get distracted and I can't pay attention or I fall asleep while I'm praying in my chair or whatever. And that's not bad. But there's something deeper here. And it is a major biblical truth. And you see it surface when Martha says to Jesus, aren't you going to make Mary help me? I mean, I'm killing myself serving you. Aren't you going to make her get up and help? She's a little upset. And that's when you realize she thinks she's, earned a, she's earning a brownie point. Ever get like that? 
God, I've done so much. I'm, I'm serving you. I never did, I did the right thing, and I'm trying to do this, and I'm trying to do that. Why don't I get that blessing over there? Ever felt like that? And it reveals truth about us. And this, in case you go to sleep in the next few minutes, is the point. Do we delight in Jesus? Because he already delights in us. We have trouble getting that through our heads. And you will see it illustrated in the language that is used. It says, Mary has chosen the better portion. Y'all divide up portions at your house? I, my, my in-laws are here today. I didn't think about saying this until I saw them this morning. That, uh, it's a, it's, my, my wife has three brothers, four kids. So it's a principle they had in their house that we've learned to adopt that I don't know that I like. And it's, you know, if you've got ice cream or pie or anything that you're serving up, whoever serves up the bowls picks last which bowl they get. Terrible plan. I like the bowl. Daddy paid for the ice cream. Daddy gets the big bowl. Right? That's my plan. But it's, you know, whoever, whoever serves it up gets to pick the portion. And it cuts out the whining. It cuts out the trying. You know, it just does. Because we will get upset about our portion. I wanted a bigger piece of pie. And it says here, Mary has chosen the best portion. And I'm telling you, it's a biblical truth from beginning to end of Scripture. It, you just, and I just wrote down a couple of them because that language, those, that wording is used throughout the Old Testament and the New. I, I'm going to read just a couple that I wrote down from, from Psalm 16. O Lord, my chosen portion and cup, you hold my lot. That means you hold the ability to choose me and my future. You are my sustenance, my life. Psalm 73, my flesh fails. My flesh will fail. We'll try to be noble and we will get it all messed up. Our flesh will fail. God is my strength and my portion forever. Psalm 119, the Lord is my portion I will keep your words. I'll serve and respond because you're my portion. The Lord is my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. And the list goes on. We said it this morning in the call to worship. We sang it twice already. We will know the words, you are my refuge and my portion. But we so easily, me too, forget. 
It reveals, and I said last week, you know, greed and pride, two most destructive forces on planet Earth. But do you know the fuel that keeps them going? It's the number one thing dealt with from beginning to end of Scripture. It is the fuel that keeps, keeps the greed and the pride. It is the thing. You all ready? In my opinion. So you can disagree with me, but this is my opinion. You read Scripture. It's idolatry. And we will say, well, I don't worship at the feet of Baal or some other idol. But you know what the word glory, we've used the word glory two or three times this morning. To glorify God, you are a glory to you, glory, the glory of the Lord. You know what glory means? In Hebrew, the root, weight. What do you give most weight to in your life? What has most weight when it comes to making decisions? Is it the Lord? Or is it other stuff? Money, wealth, success, family, children, job. And that surfaces in, uh, and sometimes you've got to let God work and peel the layers off. That's fine, you know, I'd rather go and do than let God deal with me sometimes. Because it'll just show up, you know, it'll show up in a, in a little too harsh thing to, to my wife. We'll be at odds with each other, and you've got to peel away the layers and realize, oh, there's fear and there's insecurity, and I'm wondering, what does she think about me, and do I measure up? Because then I discover, oh, there's some pride there. Or my kids just did this the other day. You know, you've got to discipline your kids. God even says, raise them up, and that's not a bad thing. See, what we're dealing with is not a bad thing. Martha's not planning to rob a bank here. She's serving Jesus. But sometimes it'll be a little too harsh in what I'll say. And then God will deal with me. And I realize it's because I'm tired and I'm frustrated. Because I have this false idea that I've got to succeed at something. And I may have felt like I failed at something else. And I don't measure up. And what does the world think of me? Or what are people thinking about? And, I, and I've taken it out on being a little too harsh with one of my kids. And so I've got to sit them down and I've got to apologize. And ask him to forgive me. Because we can all do it. We can take anything and turn it into a list. And we can think we're going to get a brownie point and we're going to earn something. Or we can worry about what... And that leads to devastating consequences. From addiction to all kinds of sin. And the point that is Luke's big point that you can't miss and you need to focus on and we will ignore is the truth of the gospel. You can't earn it. The creator of the universe knows you and wants you to know him intimately, 
personally and died to make that possible. That's why Jesus died. And that is the good news of the gospel. You are already chosen. What is said all over the scripture, we got to learn to let God teach us that, that he is our portion. We wonder, do we measure up or do we succeed or how, how do people think about us or what's going on? We may have totally messed up. Great, you get forgiveness, but the truth of the issue is the creator of the universe knows your name and it's written on his hand and is already delighted in you. And that is the heart of Mary sitting at those feet. In the language of she has chosen the right portion. Because he has already given everything for you. May you let him be your portion. May you let him be your refuge. May you let him be your cup. May you let him be your strength. When service flows out of not measuring up, but just delighting in the one who already delights in you, that changes the world. Let us pray. Dear God, we praise you and thank you. That you delight in us, that you know us, that you love us. That you will meet us right where we are and everyone has a place if we want it. But we also delight in the fact that you never leave us there. You want us to become, you want to be the portion that we choose, the enough that we are looking for in the world. And when we fail, you paid the price so we can sit at your feet and not miss your delight in us. May we never forget that. May we live in response to it. In Jesus' name, amen.